This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I'm your host Ryan Dalton. Thanks for clicking play on the pod. I'm recording this on a Friday. I can finally have a drink. Well, nerds, how are you? It has been a mega, mega busy week for me. I have been slammed with work, which I'm sure all of you have been as well. But, you know, it's my podcast and I've got the mic, so I guess I can talk about it. It's just been one of those weeks where it's been full on hot, (laughs) as it seems to be forever in London now, Um, and just every day something to do, something to do, something to do, which is good. But actually, sorry, can we start a petition to ban people from saying to someone, oh, it's good to be busy though, isn't it? It is good to be busy. No, no, it's not actually, Colin. No, it's not. It's not good to be busy. It's good to be on a beach in Cuba. That's good. It's not good to be busy all the time. It's not good for your head. Oh, it's good to be busy, though, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> off. <laughs> I am okay, though. I am all right. It's going to be a good weekend because I'm switching off. Phone's going away. Going to the narrowboat in Hertfordshire. See me a kingfisher. Let's do this. <laughs> I will share with you a highlight I had. Um, because of the freaking drought in London, the blackberries have been next to non-existent. The one I did try a couple of weeks ago was, you know, like Haribo Tantastics on speed. It was like the most sour thing I've ever had. Um, So I haven't really been able to graze my way through the woodland. Um, (laughs) I like that phrase. Um, Until I found a very boggy area and there was um, a blackberry shrub in the middle. And I thought, oh, I wonder if there's been enough water throughout the drought in here. So crambled through. Um, and found the juiciest blackberry I have ever, ever tried. Whether it's just because I haven't had one this year and I was, you know, dying for one. Um, but it was beautiful, plump. <laughs> oh, like a spoonful of jam it was. It was beautiful. So that was a nice day. That is... Do you see what I mean? Why I get frustrated in London with that's my highlight for Nature for the Week was a freaking blackberry. But it was nice. I did enjoy it. I do like grazing. I do like grazing when I'm out on the woodland walk. Um... Now, usually what we'll do here is 60 second nature news, but it is not going to happen this week. I um, I do apologise to you nerds, it's just been so, so, so busy and I have not had the chance to go out there and and collaborate these stories to bring them to you, but I promise next week it will happen. Um, So we are instead going to move on straight to today's show. This is the penultimate show recorded live at Global Bird Fair 2022. As always, when I talked to a Londoner, I was very excited because this time I was talking to a man that is well known for his love of urban spaces, birding and exploring just the wonderful natures within. And this is a chat with the brilliant David Lindo. 
I can't actually believe it's taken me this long to get David on the show, but I'm glad that when I finally did, it was face to face. It was lovely to chat to David about the love of London that we both have from exploring the different green spaces, what wildlife you can find, and how that's landed him in this wonderful career working in wildlife conservation, nature, and the world of birds. So just a quick little chat from me um, this week because I'm about to run off to Hertfordshire and chill on an hourboat for a weekend with Riley and Christina. <laughs> Much needed. But please sit back and as always, enjoy this episode of Into the Wild titled A Chat with David Lindo. You're in London, aren't you? I've been based in Spain for the last seven years. Oh, wow, cool. Where about you? A lot of it was incognito at first, but then after mm. Brexit. <laughs> there you go. You, are we recording? Because he just swore. <laughs> We just got the first one publicly. <laughs> Didn't even take that long. I thought that was going to be towards the end of the podcast. <laughs> Where were you in London? I'm a Northwest London boy, so I was Northwest. actually raised in Wembley. Nice, nice. Uh, and then I spent my formative years in Notting Hill, Paddington, around that way. Nice. I like Paddington. I did have a little flirtation, little flutter in South London, but I recovered. <laughs> As a North Londoner. It's nice to have you back. <laughs> I think I saw you around Tottenham once on the marshes. Yeah, you probably, there, you probably, yeah, I used to go there now and again, yeah. I mean, normally, yeah. But I'm sort of a bit of a home bird. Yeah. So Wormwood Scrubs. The scrubs, yeah. Which is nice. not the prison park was my, yeah. my, <laughs> yeah. my base. The park's nice. I haven't been down that, that way for a while, but I do like it down the there. The park was nice. It's now been it's destroyed changed. partially by my, our friends HS2. Oh, really? That's happening a lot. On the, so my girlfriend lives on a narrowboat. So we're on the canals quite a lot and it's happening so many parts of the canal just being like destroyed by it, all the foliage. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that really pisses me off is, is the fact that they say, oh yeah, we'll put it back to what it was like before. What, you're gonna, you've got a plan for 600 years? You're gonna remove HS2O. <laughs> so they're not, my, they're not my favorite people at the moment. No. Never, well, nor will I ever be. I'll never, you'll never get me on the Elizabeth line ever. No, it was um, on the walk. weekend we were, I was coming here. I got on the tube and they said, all lines are fine except the, the Elizabeth line. I was like, hasn't that just opened? <laughs> Is that not like a metaphor for the UK and rail? <laughs> that things just don't work. Mm. Just stick with what we've got, lads. It'll be fine. Um, let's start this properly. Welcome to Into the Wild, David. Lovely to have oh, you on I the show. Oh, I thought that was a proper start. It was a proper start. Oh, it is how we're starting, but I've got to, uh, I've got to welcome you. Yeah, well, that's fine. Well, that might be. <laughs> I'm welcomed by a hot chocolate you gave me, so I'm, I'm happy. That's very true. Well, I'm going to like it all for that back. <laughs> Um, lovely to have you on the show. Been wanting to talk to you for a while. How have you enjoyed bird fair? This isn't your first bird fair. No, I've been to, I mean, as, as young as I may look, I've been to most of them. Have you? Yeah, I mean, I, must, I was in my pram in the early ones. Um, no, it's been a good bird fair. I mean, I think that the actual um, site now is, is, is actually better because Yeah, it's, I've heard people say that. It's, I mean, I know the other one was nice because it's punctuated by trees and stuff. You're actually in the middle, plonked in the middle of a reserve, but... I think here, it's actually, because the layout's flat, it's actually quite nice. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the downside is a lack of wildlife compared to the other place. But, yeah, it's, and it feels spacious as well. It feels yeah. airy. I mean, I'm sitting in the Leica stand now, and it's actually one of the best Leica stands I've ever seen, including the little greenery yeah. in the middle there, the rockery. There's like lots going on in this little space, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's good, like lots, yeah. It's, I feel it's like nice sitting down it. and sort of looking to see if I can find the insects in there. So, for people that don't know... <laughs> Who are you and what do you do? Um, my name is David Lindo. I'm also known as the Urban Birder. Yep. And what do I do? Um, I try to enjoy life and I try <laughs> to get other people to enjoy their lives. 
Um, and my whole thing is about trying to get people in urban areas, regardless of where you are, mm. um, to uh, engage with nature and the environments, but through the medium of birds. Has that got easier as a job role, would you say, in the last five years? Well, first of all, as a job role, I mean, it's interesting because many young people ask me about how, how, I, got my, how I got to do what I'm doing. And I, said to, I say to them, but the thing is, if you can't get the job that you want or you don't see the job that you want advertised, you have to create it. I so, I so agree with that. I so, so agree with that. So that's what I've done. I've created yeah. my role. And my role, I'd say, is getting easier mm. in some respects in that I've been doing this now for what, 16 years, maybe. I, don't, I can't remember how long, actually. But yeah. in the beginning, it was very difficult because the urban birder as such is a, it's a concept. Mm. Um, because I, I, come from, I don't come from a conservation background, even though I'm a conservationist. I come from a, a commercial background. I was right. in sales and marketing. So my instinct is survival. My instinct is creativity because I yeah. used to hang out a lot with creative people. Um, so for me, it's about creating something that I can enjoy and other people can enjoy. And it's not a chore, even though some parts of the job obviously it are. Always will be. Yeah, right. There's always going to be the chore part. Um, but um, it's, 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 it was hard in the beginning because you had to sell this whole idea. And the, the, the urban birder itself is a Trojan horse that I drove into town and told people, listen, I got this thing. You can actually go and watch wildlife and, and particular birds wherever you are, no matter if you are in the middle of a concrete jungle. Yeah. Um, and it's comparable to, to meditation or yoga. And I pointed that statement directly at the media and they loved it, lapped it up, and it kind of caught on. And what's great is now the fact that urban birding and urban birds is a set of words you see quite a lot now yeah, mentioned yeah. around which is great because i don't own this i'm just here to to try and open people's eyes so yeah. on that level things have got better but the job is ongoing there's a lot of people out there who are totally disconnected to nature and the job is difficult because um as with all conservation work um it's convincing the people outside the circle and the problem i think we have is that even within our circle we have the media, the likes of the BBC and all those guys who sell us this idea of nature as being in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and something to, way, way away. Yeah, and yeah. you have to spend 10 days to, to see something for two seconds. But importantly, it's not connected or it doesn't feel to be connected to where you are living. Yeah. And that's a major problem yeah. because that stops or that makes our job so much more difficult because you're talking to people who are raised on that sort of um, information that I don't understand, but there's actually a link because there's no, there's no link shown to them. Yeah. And at the other end of the scale, you've got education. The kids are going into school and not being taught about these things. So yeah. we're, built, we're growing up to sort of devoid of this knowledge. It, that makes the job hard. It's, it's when it when it's done locally as well, like really connecting on your local patch. And I know it's probably been said on this podcast numerous times about connecting with nature around you where you are. But I personally, I feel I I get a greater reward from that. Even though when I've travelled and seen wildlife, I still get a greater reward when I'm seeing it or connecting with it. What's always around me? Do you find that something that you really try and push towards people with? Yeah, because it's right next to you. I mean, I mm. I started my birding, my natural history sort of life at home in, in yeah. Wembley in my garden and 
I think there's nothing better than finding something on your own, on your own patch. Um, and it doesn't matter about its rarity. It's the fact that you've seen it and you've discovered it and you've recognized it or not. You don't have to yeah. recognize it even. The fact that it's there and, you know, you have something there is, is, is enough. And I think there's a lot of emphasis on finding rare things or, you mm. know, I, I think that's only an element of what we, we do. Whenever someone comes up to me and says, have you found anything interesting? Or are you looking for anything interesting? I say, yeah, everything's interesting. But, you know, it's about what's around us. Yeah. And that's the thing. And we need to remember that and be joyful and uh, celebrate yeah. it. And, and don't use four-letter words like just, only, or even, even, you know, because it's all great. Yeah, yeah. The natural world, I, I ask everyone this question because I'm always interested to see if there is a specific point, but is, it, is there a, something specific about the natural world, either how it works or just an area or a habitat or anything that you really love? I mean, obviously birds would be an obvious, but that, it might be something else. Is there something about the natural world that David, like, you're like, that's my thing, that's what I love about it? Well, the thing is, I was raised in a city and mm. I love, I'll get very, I find it a challenge to find natural history in urban environments um, mm. because it's all around us. I see natural, I see urban environments as part of the countryside, punctuated by buildings maybe, but mm. they're still part of the environment. And my favorite habitats, and again, it's down to my upbringing, are wetlands. And I'm really happy that basically um, I've been um, asked by the uh, Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust, for mm. whom I am a proud vice president, yeah. um, to promote the idea of more urban wetlands in our, our cities and to get people to, to sign the Wetlands Can Pledge um, because... You know, we've lost, what, over 98% yeah. of our wetlands. And they are the lungs, they, well, even though they're water, they are the, our aqua lungs, you know, we need, yeah. we need them. And they're so great. And I loved, as a kid, and even to this day, I love seeing blue. I'm, I'm attracted to reservoirs yeah. and rivers. And even if I'm in the middle of a jungle, you know, I'm lucky enough to sort of go, I mean, for example, I remember being in Colombia. And I've noticed actually, um, I must tell you this, actually. I've noticed that there's a, just, there's different types of birders because, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, there's some people, I mean, you, you kind of think of birders as loving everything. Yeah. But there's some people that actually really love being jungles and forests. And I'm not one of them. No. I get bored. Really? I get bored. And I remember being in Colombia, walking around a jungle and chasing shadows and hearing things calling a mile away. And then we turned the corner and there was this lagoon. I said, right, leave me here. See you later. This is my kind of yeah. bit that I like. I right? love open open vistas because mm. in a city, that's what I had. I didn't yeah. have woods next to me. So yeah. blue and open vistas were my were my thing. So to answer your question, they're my favorite types of... Favorite um, yeah, and obviously birds, but I, I love all natural history and I'm always on the lookout. But I must emphasize again that it's not about naming everything. Okay. Yeah. My, Thank my, you because I'm so <laughs> No. You know, it's the end of the day. My my thing my thing's birds. Yeah. And I've always said that if I was a bodybuilder, if I raise my right arm, I have an amazing bicep, which is my birding knowledge. If I raise my left arm, you'll see a noodle. <laughs> which is my knowledge of natural history. You'll see my arm. <laughs> yeah. Well <laughs> you know, and because um, and I, I admire people like the Chris Packer, Nick mm. Bakers, and the Mike Dildreth of the world who yeah. have an amazing spread of knowledge across all taxa. Mm. Um, but I've specialised in birds, 
Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we've all got a niche and I love, I just mm. love them. Yeah. There's also strengths in both. Do you know what I mean? Some people need to know, or, or whether it's just for them or for their job or for, you know, whatever. They need to know or need to study a lot. And there's some people that go, I, I don't need to know that. This is my, mm. it's all personal, isn't it? With urban, like getting into nature in the urban environment, have you, from your career, because you've been, like you said, about a 16 year long career, have you seen it be become more inclusive over that time? Or do you think there's still kind of, within cities, certain barriers that might prevent people getting into it, whether it's, well, whatever. Or do you think it's becoming more inclusive for everyone? I, 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 I don't like the word barriers because... Yeah, sorry, I, do you know no, what? I no, used no, that on no, the no. podcast before and I no, don't no, like no, it. No, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not um, dissing you. I'm mm. just saying the word, because people use that word barrier. Yeah. Um, I, I've never seen barriers. I've mm. seen people stopping themselves. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's down to perception yeah. and misconceptions, really. Mm. It's like, for example, I look around this bird fair and I see mostly white middle class and mostly middle-aged people. Mm. But there's also a fair spattering of women, which is great because that's something that's been growing over the, over the, yeah. over the decades. I yeah. mean, you go to the US and most birders there are women. But the other side of the coin, the, the faces that are ethnically diverse are still missing. Mm. And there's been a lot of chat, especially over the last couple of years when we've been in lockdown about, oh, you know, we need to get more stuff going. And there's been people pointing fingers saying, you're racist, you're this, you're that. Mm. And then I've had phone calls during lockdown when people were saying to me, oh, well, what can I do? Or we're an organization, how can we be better? And the thing is, you know, what you can do, what, how you can be better, just be a decent person. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that's That'd rule number one. <laughs> number two is that you can't fish from a pool with no fish. So what you need to do is basically, you know, as I said right in the very beginning of this conversation, mm. education. Get all walks of life to understand that, you know, there's nature around us and it's important, you know. If we don't take care of the nature, then it's a death by a thousand cuts yeah. for us. And also at the other end of the scale, get the people like the BBC, instead of using the same five people, and instead of showing me documentaries about Africa led by a white guy with black guys carrying bags, okay, there might be camera bags now, but it's still that imperialistic colonial vibe going on there, then we might have a chance. For me, that is the answer. And I know, I know mm. a lot of NGOs are sort of worried saying, oh, what can we do to get more you know, people of color involved mm. in, with us? And I, you know, I share their, their, their view and I also think, yes, they need to do stuff, but they, they can't shoulder everything because at the end of the day, you can do what you're doing in your little corner, but the bigger picture is we've been sold this idea that nature is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we've yeah. been sold this idea, but it's not for you because when people turn the TVs on and see a white middle-class middle-aged man talking about wildlife, it doesn't relate to them. I was going to say, you, you, as soon as you get to that bit, it's like, well, you, it's it's failed. Yeah, you switch I, off. Yeah. You switch off. Yeah. And what was interesting, I did a, I did a, a live sort of debate yesterday mm. at Bird Fair yeah. with some young conservationists. Mm. And I asked a question. I said, you know, I look over my shoulder and I don't see any mavericks, any young mavericks. I don't see any Chris Packhams. And one of the, uh, the guests in the panel turned around and said, well, actually, you're not looking in the right places. And also the Chris Packhams and David Attenboroughs of the world, that's old hat. It's, it's been time done. for something new. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's and that's like, yeah. a really good point because yeah. at the end of the day, that something new has been suppressed because it's, it's, this whole thing's run by these people who think they know best 
and they're following the same regime, the same formula they've been following since the 50s. Yeah. So until that changes, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough uphill battle. And it's not good enough bringing in token stuff, token yeah, people. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It we can't need, just be a We need more stick, voices, yeah. more voices talking to more people and not the same four or five people. I think as well, like, like you said, it's, it's to get rid of that idea of that wildlife or nature is so far away. And I know I've seen on TV a bit more showing cities and stuff, but as someone that is grown up in a city and lives in a city, I still don't see enough. Whenever I watch TV and I'm seeing nature uh, programs and I try and immerse myself in it, I'm just going, that's, especially in the UK stuff, I'm like, that's great, but I'm not over there. I, I'm in my city. I want to see something in London across London yeah. why are we not doing series across London it's yeah. such a big city or I want to see what's in Manchester places I can get to easily yeah the thing is I mean you're, you're right there's been a, a few more programs but yeah. they're all the same yeah it and, goes to the same thing and they do feature heavily things like foxes and stuff yeah and they do give the impression that you know this is a surprise and they are often delivered in a very boring way I saw one the other day there's a three-part series on BBC about urban wildlife across the the, the world actually and it was just boring yeah, that's the, that's the issue with this whole. I'm mean, I'm sorry to moan about this, but at the end of the day, this is how it is. Mm. The, the, the conservation sector thinks that it's just a separate thing and separate entity. Yeah, it doesn't realise, or people don't, and not many people bring in other elements like music, culture, art. It's all right, interlinked. Yeah. yeah, but no, it's we've got to look through the blinkers at, at how you know there should be programs out there. I mean, that bring in people from the outside new people yeah not talk to the same old people yeah um and the other thing is during lockdown there was a great opportunity mm. for someone like the bbc to say john or sarah here's a camera go for a walk down the streets of uh, leicester during your normal one yeah. hour yeah. walk and shoot some stuff and let's make a program about what yeah. you see mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no one bothered to do that missed opportunity because people are really up for it because a lot of people discovering nature well, that's the all they had time. as well isn't it so if, if, if that was going to be presented yeah. it would have like you said it was that wave that was there yeah. but no one got on so that shows it. for me the lack of creativity mm. um and it, it, it's just very disappointing i find yeah. it disappointing and that's another thing that makes it difficult for me because you know personally if i'm thinking of ideas it's, sometimes it's hard to get other people on board yeah. especially within in fact mostly within my world because they're used to a certain thing and they get scared mm. an example is um, a few years ago i did my vote for britain's national bird campaign yeah i went to all the ngos and said listen i'm doing this can you support me you know if we do it together we can get millions of new members for for, for all of us and very few if any of them helped me at all really in fact some of the bigger ones actually in fact, one of the biggest ones I won't name them specifically, but they launched a spoiler. And I'm like, why? Hey, this is the thing, like, I think there's, there's so much change that can be done. And like you said, there is creativity out there. And I think sometimes it's just not getting that backing or support. And it's without that, it it's so hard. It puts it so much on the creator, I think, so much to have to organize the whole thing. And it's like, rather, rather than saying, you need everything around it to platform that creator as well. I, I don't think it's just up to people to make it. I think it's it needs that wider support. And it does, it's... yeah. I mean, you know, what you're doing is great. Mm. And that this needs a bigger platform. Yeah. But instead, I'm seeing boring stuff that's always been done before. And, it's, you know, it's, there's nothing new. Yeah. And Next year, David, let's do it. Let's get a stage. Let's do a live. We'll have this I'm in front of that. 100 people. Yeah, I'm let's up, do it. I'm up for that. Let's do it. Right, I've got to ask you, favourite bird, come on. The ring oozle. 
The wing oozle. You yeah. said that so quick. So I was like, sorry, yeah. sorry. Ring oozle. Ring oozle. Turdus torquatus. Yeah. Why the ring oozle? When I was seven years old, and prior to that, actually, I used to, I didn't know anything about birds, even though I was mad about them. Yeah. So sparrows were baby birds, starlings, mummy birds, and mm. blackbirds, daddy birds, because, you know, I didn't have anyone, I didn't have any mentor. Mm. And I went to the library and I found this book, Birds of Britain, Europe, Middle East, uh, with North Africa. And it was like finding the Holy Scriptures. But long and short of it was, I was pouring through this book, reading every single letter. And I came to the the page, the spread, with the blackbird ring oozle. And I actually stopped there because I thought, blackbird, I know that bird, but the ring oozle, it looks so like the blackbird, but I've never seen one before. And I remember reading and I realised that that was where the similarity ended. I mean, there were just two different, completely different beasts. Mm. The song, the Ringuzel's got a crap song. Um, <laughs> there's maybe six thousand pairs compared to and decreasing compared to, uh, compared to eight or nine million pairs mm, of blackbirds. Wow. They are summer visiting. They are only found in in Britain anyway, um, in the sort of western northern extremities, Snowdonia, you know, Cairngorms, mm. Dartmoor, places like that, Yorkshire. And I thought to myself, you know, when will I ever get to see one? And it became uh, one of those mystical birds. That's um, really cool. And then, um, I mean, I did twitch one, um, I think on Yards of Silly once, mm. and I saw one by accident in Greece, but it wasn't the same. It, it felt very kind of, but then about 17 years, no, about 15 years ago, I was sleeping. Is this the moment when... I was having a dream. I had a dream. This is April. Really? Yeah. Migration time. I was in London. I had a dream. I dreamt that I saw ringers on my local patch, Wormwood Scrubs. And Mm. I woke up in the morning. I thought, that's ridiculous. I've not heard of anyone seeing ringers in London. I've never seen one in London before ever. So I went to my patch the following day. Well, actually the same day. Say that morning, yeah. Yeah. Walked around. Um, I didn't see much um, apart from usual migrants. Went back to the car. And then I got to the car and I did this kind of balletic pirouette, <laughs> but with both feet on the ground. So yeah. I thought, did a little twist yeah. over my shoulder. Can very, you imagine Very that? hard to do. Yeah, now it is. Very, Could yeah, get yeah. old now, yeah. But I was a bit more, I played a lot agile of football then. Yeah, I was a bit more agile. My hips were a bit more fluid. So I did this flick, looked over my shoulder. And as I did, you know, it's just like a last looks. And as I did, something dark flew across my head and landed about 50 feet away. I got my bins on it and there filling the whole vision was a male ring oozle. That is a brilliant story. I've got more. <laughs> but maybe the next episode. We'll do it yeah. next year at the live one. Yeah. And the live one, we'll do it in front of 100 people. You can say, <laughs> that's such a lovely story though. It's like you said, it's that, it's that animal that becomes that. And even though you'd seen it before, you're like, no, there's, there's, a, there's a way I want to see it. And it was exactly. so organic and natural. That's exactly. Nice. Um, the Scrubs in London, is that your favorite patch in london it is it's my favorite patch in the world no matter really? where i am nice. i always think back to what's happening there mm. and i live in extremadura now which is in southwest spain which is an amazing um place amazing place but i'm just i, I despair um with what's happening at the scrubs because yeah. when i was there i was now there was a group of uh, birders we called ourselves the scrubbers <laughs> nice and you know we really cared about the place and we fought to mm. try and protect areas and then when i left and but before i left that was dissipating naturally people were leaving or whatever and when i left um no one's really taken up the mantle and the current crop of birders there they don't even share news and they don't count the numbers of birds breeding so 
immediately it devalues the site because you have no no data. I mean, yeah. I got data from the early 90s all the way through to 2016. And then it stops. And there's nothing after that. So when you fight the giants like HS2, you're using historic information because no one's kept and it up. And it almost becomes redundant anyway. So then it's, yeah. Well, if there's any birders in London listening, take that mantle up. They need Absolutely, to start please. That. I'd love it. I, I, you know, I want someone to, because nothing's been found there in the last couple of years. I know there's been stuff there. It's yeah, just like yeah. no one's... No one's recording it. Like. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the Wildfowl and Wetland Trust as well, because I'm a big yeah, fan I love of them. them. I love I'm them. a big fan of them. I love going to the centres in London around. Um, they're absolutely lovely. You're the vice president for that. So what we spoke about briefly about why wetlands are important, but let's talk a little bit more about why have they disappeared in the UK? What has happened to our wetlands? Well, I mean, you know, going back, you know, Middle Ages and what have you, draining of the Fenlands. Mm. I mean, that's a classic thing that's been done. Yeah. Um, and also, even places like London, a lot of the rivers are, you know, blocked off or put yeah. underground. And, you know, the Thames marshes drained, you know, it, it's just all about development. And, I mean, it just makes me sad to talk about all the stuff that's been done. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's so easy to reverse that, you know, even if it's just creating a rain garden, even if it's just having a little dustbin lid, a bit of water in it, that's yeah. a wetland. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember going to Leicester once and I visited a Branfield site because um, I love going to these spots that no one ever goes to. I love peering through building sites, <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, you, you find things. You, you, do, you, you really do. You and do. I was I was on this wet, this Branfield site and I remember stooping down and I, I, even though it's only maybe a couple of acres, I, stopped, I stooped down to the grass level and it felt as if I was in this this this, water, this wetland. And I saw pied wagtails and there were snipe around the place and then flushed a jack snipe. And then, you know, it was just incredible. Yeah. But it was populated by all these wetland birds. Yet this was a building site which was stopped because of lack of money, whatever, credit yeah, yeah. crunch, that one day would be a block of flats or what have you. And it just shows you that even if it's a temporary uh, habitat, temporary home, which yeah. most urban sites are, it can still house wildlife. And... I think that's something to remember, you know, if if any if there's any sort of developers out there, please, you know, le- develop with areas of blue around mm. where you're, and green where you're building, you know, so that kids can grow up and see these habitats and see them from being a child and not have the instinct to, or the desire to throw a, a, ch- a stolen scooter or, or, or chopping trolley in there, it's you know. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need to sort of, uh, that's education. That's yeah. part of the education process. Yeah, educate and just, value. Learn, yeah. educate to value what yeah. it is, yeah. So it's, it's things like that. It, it's not that difficult. I mean, I've been to other cities around the world. I've been to, would you believe, I've been to over 350 different cities around oh, wow. the world. I worked out, but if I went to one city every weekend that had a population of over a million, it would take me 60 years. So I plan so to do to, that. Jesus. Are you plan to do it? Yeah, so I'll be 130, I think. <laughs> And then you after, have a great, great record on Booking.com as well. <laughs> and then after that, I like to spend the next six years doing all the historic sites because it's you know you yeah. go there and you can't like you know you can't see the art galleries yes. and stuff because yeah, you're yeah. out burning. Yeah, that's amazing though. So what the, the, the Wetland Trust as well because this is what because I visit them in London and there's such good places to go and they're really educational and you see some wonderful stuff there. But what are they? What do the Wildfire and Wetland Trust do to kind of restore or push to restore wetlands in the UK? 
They do a hell of a lot and they work with um, other partners, whether, whether it be companies or individuals, mm. um, to, to build into these spaces, you know, blue and green spaces as well. Mm. They had a really interesting uh, project in Slough, at, uh, a place called Salt Hill, mm. where they uh, restored a stretch of a uh, river in a park and they engaged with the, uh, the, the local people and, yeah. and the schools. And it was great. And I was actually involved in that. And I remember there was an evening when they invited the, the residents to come in and talk about what work had been done and how mm. they feel about it. And it was great because 99% of the people were ethnically diverse people. Yeah. And they were really very invested. Um, and they were also, it showed me how people, we talked about barriers earlier, yeah. how people put up their own barriers by saying, but um, where else can I go around here? Is it, is it safe? You know, and I was saying, well, I didn't know the area, but I said, you know, just explore, just you know, explore, go. walk around, you know, see a spot and go to it and look at it, you know, enjoy, mm. enjoy what's around you. And it's interesting because I I went to Cleveland um, in Ohio mm. in 2019 and I went to a couple of schools, Af Af Afro-American schools. And for the first time in my life, in that kind of circumstance, I felt helpless because there were kids there, single parent kids. Some of the parents were drug addicts. Mm. Most of the kids, their main meal was the school dinner they had. I, I, was, I was sitting in the class chatting to a boy and he said that his, um, he went to bed at three o'clock that night before. And I said, why? And he goes, I was playing my computer game. Um, but outside the school, they had a bit of waste ground, which they turned into a, a, into a, a nature park, mm. which included a small lake. And of course, you know, kids were frying stones in there, but once they get past that, they then begin to notice the nature. So, and it doesn't take much. It doesn't take, yeah, it really doesn't. It doesn't take it doesn't, much. It doesn't. I think it's something that everyone has in them. I've done. We are very close there are to people the people uh, trying to sabotage our recording, aren't they? <laughs> we are very close to the 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 Leica customer care bit, which, uh, yeah, which that's the, the first time that's happened all And weekend. that's how they care for their customers. They beat them over their heads with their binoculars really and say, if you don't buy the binoculars. <laughs> this is what, if you go into any other optics. Um, last question of the podcast is something everyone gets. If you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world, no matter how specific and niche, what would you pass on? Fall in love. Fall in love. That's lovely. Nice, done. David, thank you so much for coming on Into the Wild. Thank Absolute you Absolute pleasure me. to have you and enjoy the rest of Birdfair. And you've got a talk at midday, I believe. Yeah, I haven't written it yet. <laughs> I've got 45 minutes. Oh, that'll be a bat. You'll smash it. <laughs> You'll smash it. <laughs> lovely to chat to you, man. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.